Voices of Hope is a podcast of New Hope Presbyterian Church in Castle Rock, Colorado. New Hope is a church that puts people first. Our Sunday worship is on site and online at 9.30 a.m. And you can listen to our sermons and podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any popular podcast platforms. This week, Pastor Jordan continues our series, New Hope at the Movies, with a sermon about Spider-Man No Way Home. Our scripture comes from Matthew 10, 16-23, and is read by Tom Vandenbosch. Our scripture reading today comes from St. Matthew, 10th chapter, verses 16-23. through 23. Listen to these words that Jesus said to his disciples when he sent them out on mission. Stay alert. This is hazardous work I am assigning you. You're going to be like sheep running through a wolf pack. So don't call attention to yourselves. Be as shrewd as a snake, inoffensive as a dove. Don't be naive. Some people will question your motives. Others will smear your reputation just because you believe in me. Don't be upset when they haul you before the civil authorities. Without knowing it, they've done you and me a favor, given you a platform for preaching the kingdom news. And don't worry about what you'll say or how you'll say it the right words will be there. The spirit of your father will supply the words. When people realize it is the living God you are presenting and not some idol that makes them feel good, they're going to turn on you, even people in your own family. There is a great irony here, proclaiming so much love experiencing so much hate, but don't quit. Don't cave in. It is all well worth it in the end. It is not success you're after in such times, but survival. Be survivors. Before you've run out of options, the Son of Man will have arrived. So we've been going through a series this summer with uh, New Hope at the Movies. And it's all about the power of story and how story can actually help transform our hearts and minds by seeing, gaining empathy by seeing other people's perspectives and experiences. Uh, First week, Allie preached on the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. And the next week was Top Gun Maverick. And then last week... Uh, was, oh, I'm blanking all of a sudden, Uh, Coda. There we go, Coda. And today we're going to be talking about Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, I'll kind of catch you up a little bit for those that maybe haven't seen any of the new Spider-Man movies. Uh, This is the third in the trilogy. Uh, But throughout these movies, Peter Parker's learning how, what the responsibility of being a superhero is because he's just a teenager. And so at first it's all fun and games because you have these cool powers, but slowly throughout these three movies, he's learning what it means to mature as a superhero. 
Like last week, I showed a trailer for CODA. Uh, this week, I'll show a trailer for Spider-Man No Way Home to help refresh kind of a summary of what the movie is all about. Oh, look at this. This is a good one. Some suggest that Parker's powers include the male spider's ability to hypnotize females. Stop. Come on. <laughs> yes, my spider lord. <laughs> Can we just, like, stay up here all day? It is so crazy down there. That's right, folks. Spider-Man is, in fact, Peter Parker. Listen, I did not kill Mysterio. The drones did. The drones that are yours. Does any part of you feel relieved about all this? What do you mean? Now that everybody knows, you don't really have to hide or lie to people. For the record, I never wanted to lie to you. But how do you tell someone that you're Spider-Man? Now everybody knows. But this isn't about me. This is hurting a lot of people. I've just been thinking about how to fix all of this. So, Peter. What do I owe the pleasure? I'm sorry to bother you, sir. Please, we saved half the universe together. I think we're beyond you calling me, sir. Okay, Steven. That feels weird, but I'll allow it. When Mysterio revealed my identity, my entire life got screwed up. I was wondering if maybe you could make it so that he never did. Strange. Don't cast that spell. It's too dangerous. Fine. I won't. Our world is about to forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Wait, everyone? Can't some people still know? That's not how the spell works. So MJ's gonna forget about everything we've ever been through? Stop tampering with the spell. Oh my god, Ned, he's my best friend. Oh, my Aunt May should really stop talking. <laughs> what just happened? space-time. Multiverse is a concept about which we know frighteningly little. The problem is you trying to live two different lives. The longer you do it, the more dangerous it becomes. Be careful what you wish for, Parker. Hello, Peter. All right. So in case you didn't catch some of it, uh, Peter Parker is found out, or Spider-Man's found out to be Peter Parker. At the, at the end of the previous movie, this is following right after it. So everybody knows who Spider-Man is, and they're also blaming him for a death of Mysterio, who's the villain in the last movie. He set it up to make it look like Spider-Man's really a villain. And so Peter says, I just want things to go back the way they were, right? He wants to make up for this mistake, uh, of being careless the way he was. So he goes to Doctor Strange, wants to do a spell so that everybody forgets that Spider-Man is Peter Parker, but he keeps messing with it when he's trying to do it, and it ends up breaking uh, open multiverse, all right? We talked about this a couple of months ago with uh, everything everywhere all at once, but multiverse is just different versions of our lives that turned out in different ways. And so now these villains start coming in from these multiverses into his world. So now he has to deal with another 
problem that he has created of his own. So, uh, as these new villains come in, they come from different Spider-Man movies, uh, and he's put his family and friends at risk in this world with the life that he's chosen. He needs to take responsibility for his actions. And as he tries to track down each villain in this world that's not supposed to be here, he's faced with the humanity of these villains. He hasn't faced these villains in his world. If you remember the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies and the Andrew Garfield movies, these are villains that came from those. He starts to witness the humanity of these villains and that they aren't simply monsters to be destroyed, but people who have been either handed a bad card in life or have been influenced by powers outside their control. He then gets a call from Aunt May not too long after all this happens. He's searching for different villains. She works at a soup kitchen, and she says, somebody you're looking for is here. So he rushes there, and it turns out to be Norman Osborn, who's also a Green Goblin. That we talked about with the kids in Discovery Time, the arch nemesis of Spider-Man. But in the movies, Norman Osborn is kind of like, uh, has this kind of maybe split personality thing going on. When he's just Norman Osborn, he's actually a pretty decent guy. And he knows Peter Parker because his son is friends with Peter Parker. And he knows Spider-Man. But when something, a, a switch flips, he becomes the Green Goblin and is that villain that creates chaos. So he meets him there and he's looking for help and he, he, knew, he saw Spider-Man as an advertisement for that soup kitchen and thought he would be there. He needed Spider-Man's help, which is a weird thing in a superhero movie for a villain to come in and look for the help of a superhero. So this leads Peter down a path to figure out how to help each of these villains get back to their old selves before he sends them back to their worlds. All right, and this is by um, his Aunt May's influence, that they are to do good no matter what. And so he sees the humanity of them. He's like, we can help them before we send them back so that they don't go back just as they came here. So this is, this is very different than most superhero movies where you have to battle the villains in order to destroy them and to win, but now he's looking for the betterment of these villains who wish him ill. Doctor Strange doesn't like this idea. This goes against everything. No, you're not supposed to take care of those villains. We just need to send them back. So they go on this trippy little uh, fight together. And then this clip shows what happens after Spider-Man gets back and has defeated Doctor Strange. Dude, what happened? I just had a fight with Doctor Strange and I totally won. What? Look, and I stole his ring thing. Uh, I was swinging through the city, and then I went through this massive mirror thing, and then I was back in Where the city. Where is he? Where is he? Uh, he's trapped, but I'm not sure for how long. You could have just left us to die. Why didn't you? Because that's not who he is. I think I can help you guys. If I can fix what happened to you, then when you go back, things will be different, and you might not die fighting Spider-Man. What do you mean, fix us? Look, our technology is advanced. I can help I'm... you. You know... I'm something of a scientist myself. Octavius knows what I can do. Fix? You mean like a dog? I refuse. I can't promise you guys anything. But at least this way you actually get to go home and have a chance. A second chance. I mean, come on, isn't that worth trying? Trust me, Peter. When you try to fix people, there are always consequences. I mean, you don't have to come. 
I also didn't know that you could talk. But if you stay here, you're gonna have to deal with the wizard. Ah, so we go along or die. Not much of a choice, is it? I just want to go home. Well, I myself don't want to be killed, especially by a guy dressed like Dungeons and Dragons, so what's your plan? I have it all under control. So he, ha he comes up with this plan to help them in some way. Each of them has a special thing that he can help with. And uh, had to fight Doctor Strange, even though Doctor Strange, his ally, thinks this is a bad idea. He's being painted as public enemy number one by the Daily Bugle. Things are just kind of falling apart around him. He still decides to do what he thinks is good and right. And I think this is where this story of Spider-Man converges with our scripture today because Jesus is speaking to his disciples on what to expect when they go out into the world and how people would treat them. This scripture has been used many, many times, even for me growing up, the most often I heard this taught was basically this way, that Jesus is telling us, if you go out into the world and you teach the things that I want you to teach and tell people to believe the things that you think they should believe, they're going to not like that at all, right? So then we, so then we create this persecution complex, I think, with Christianity where we're like, we think what we're saying is speaking truth, and if people are upset, that's just because Jesus said they would be. Without any uh, reflection on ourselves to maybe see, are we actually being just jerks instead? So this is what it seems like, uh, that we should preach that this is what we are against. You can't do this, you're living in sin, and then you know, people are like, who are you to tell me what to do? You have no place in my life. Uh, and we also think, no, those people want to sin. They, they want to do that. They, of course, they don't want to stop. But really, what Jesus is saying in this scripture today to his disciples is that as we go out, that we talk about this is what we are for, to love our neighbors and to make the world better, that maybe this is a different approach. Maybe people might say, I like that. Can I help? I can't be mad at that. But also... When you do this, when you love people, when you truly love people the way that Jesus taught us to love people, there will be people that get upset, that will be mad, because it disrupts the status quo. So this participation in the life and ministry of Jesus comes at a cost, right? How could it not? It costs Jesus his own life. But if the, the life of discipleship is based and shaped around grace, dependence, and discernment, then it's going to threaten those who live their lives shaped by merit, autonomy, and worldly, worldly wisdom. They'll see these acts of love and grace as either something eccentric, like, oh, those are just Christians, they, uh, that's what they do, or a threat. I think... We need, to re, we need to understand once again what it's like to when we truly love people and advocate for people, how that disrupts things and people don't want that. I think arguments and actions that are absurd, foolish, or hypocritical that the church maybe gives are easy to ignore by others, by the outside world. But if we go with arguments and conversations that are serious, they're engaged seriously, then I think people listen. 
but it also can still be threatening. So when Jesus said to the sent out ones, the disciples, preach about the coming of the kingdom of God, heal the sick, raise the dead, they disrupt this established ways of thinking and acting by proclaiming that this is not as good as it gets, that health rather than disease is God's intent, that death does not get the last word. Those with vested interests into our current status quo will not be pleased. Like strong medicine, that which is best for the hearers will still be heard as a threat to them. The sent out ones will be challenged by the powers that be because their lives challenge those powers. So when Jesus is warning about persecution from authorities, we often like to create this uh, hypothetical situation where, you know, we're just, we're just going to be tortured and not liked by the authorities. That's why I think a lot of times Christianity and government have had such these polarizing pieces. I think it's good. Tension is always good. But I think if we're always looking for ways that we're being persecuted, we're going to make them up no matter what. And so Jesus, when he's saying this, no, they're going to be upset because you're caring for people that they deem unworthy of being cared for. You're going to accept people that they don't think should be accepted. You're going to create a bigger table, and we don't need a big table. That's too many people at the table. Jesus is essentially telling the disciples that the values of the kingdom of God are going to be the things that disrupt the world, the things that are going to put a target on their back. Values cost you something. As New Hope, we have, we have values. One of those I just mentioned is a big table. That's a value, and it costs us something. It has cost us something. Putting people first has cost us something. Because doing that and working with people and people who are different than you, people who may not be the most... Uh, pleasant, people that may not feel like they fit in church because they don't know how to fit in church, creating a table large enough for all of them is threatening. It changes the dynamics. But it's what we're called to do. People may look at Christians or churches that do that and say they're not really a church because they're not telling them what they're doing wrong. I don't know, I don't think I've ever encountered somebody who was encountered by a Christian, was told what they're doing or how they're living or who they are is wrong, and they were like, whoa, thank you. I didn't know that. I, people are transformed, hearts and souls are transformed by community, by being accepted into a big table, by working out these hard things together. That's what we talked about last week with Coda, of truly letting people be part of the community, truly being a community together means to look out for the interests of others rather than ourselves. So in the scripture, it talks about being as shrewd as a serpent and then as inoffensive as a dove. I think we often take the shrewd as a serpent more seriously to get our way, to get, get our way when we feel like power is slipping away from us as Christians. And we often forget be as inoffensive as a dove. Paul takes this on later in, in the New Testament as well, basically telling disciples, you know what, if people are hostile against you, if they don't want you in their town, 
shake the dust off your feet, move on. Be inoffensive, just move on. Don't try and force it, don't try and force people, but continue to keep going and telling people about the kingdom of God and the ones that want to hear it will hear it. I think often, too, as the church, as Christians, we get afraid of being persecuted by government or something like that, but we often forget we're pretty good at it ourselves. I know one of the hot topics over the last several years has been cancel culture, right? Which I always think is a little funny. This is my, what I find funny about it, is I'll often hear uh, people who are Christian you know, complain about cancel culture, and I kind of snicker because I'm like, we created that. We created it. Several years ago when Rob Bell wrote the book Love Wins, John Piper had tweeted, farewell Rob Bell, and basically canceled him that way. We've canceled people all throughout history as a church saying they are not, they do not have our orthodox beliefs, they aren't part of our group. We're really good at it, actually. Really good at it. So really, when persecution comes, it often comes from ourselves to each other, the wolves among us, as the scripture said. That those who have held unpopular convictions within the church often know firsthand the need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. I think this advice towards this this shrewd serpent and inoffensive as a dove can be translated as... um, Wisdom and gentleness. And it's always been applied to the underdog facing the suspicion and opposition of powerful and privileged religious or political authorities. It's always on the ones who are the underdogs to be that way. It's not in the interests of those in power to be that way because they want to hang on to power. Wisdom and gentleness. Maybe even as Christians, maybe we should approach problems in our world or people that we disagree with with that rather than just shouting at them or shouting verses at them or saying you should repent. Many people don't even know what that means that you're saying. Wisdom and gentleness will guide us to ways in which we can create relationships with others that others may be transformed by that. I think there's other scripture and stories in in the Bible that kind of get at this same theme. If you remember Daniel in the lion's den, that's kind of one of these things. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. The vulnerable need protection from those who would devour them or burn them with fiery rhetoric. Just as the body of Christ also shielded the woman who's going to be stoned for adultery, Surely the body of Christ, the church, is called the shield, those that the self-righteous want to stone. Oftentimes we just get caught up in it, though. We become the self-righteous. I think the dynamics of the New Testament of looking at Jesus bringing the new kingdom of God, this new law, and how it threatened the religious authorities of the time, the political authorities of the time, shows this. It shows that Religion can become self-righteous, and I think we have, as Christianity, we're not immune to that. We have done that many times over and over again throughout history, that we become the self-righteous, and then people have had enough, and now the church loses its influence, and we learn from it, 
then all of a sudden we gain influence again, then all of a sudden we're at the top again, and then we become self-righteous. And it's kind of this wave that I kind of imagine with culture and history, with the church and the world. A seminarian once explained that she did not quite get the psalmist's references to enemies, to enemies, of loving enemies, until she came out as a lesbian in church. In her book, Leaving Church, Episcopal priest Barbara Brown Taylor despaired that positions on divisive issues were now being used as a litmus test for belonging to a church. Her denomination was better known as the Church of Common Prayer, not Common Beliefs. This can seep in even to ordination exams. When I went through ordination exams, there was a you could always tell the questions that had this underlying, maybe political interest in it or cultural interest in it. It wasn't really about um, quizzing you. It was about trying to catch somebody else in the wrong, specifically the seminary or professors at the seminary. I remember one, it was uh, my intro to biblical studies exam. And uh, this one pastor asked me the question of, uh, you know, I heard that there's, some, there's a professor at the seminary who says that, you know, Noah and Adam and Eve and, and Moses weren't really real people. What would you say to that? Thanks. <laughs> I'm just trying to get ordained here. Um, but you could tell that, that that has nothing to do with you as the student. It has something to do with something else. They want to catch somebody. The best way at the time that I could answer that was, you know, if I believe the Bible to be true, then I'll believe them to be true and real people. But to somebody like that, to that professor, maybe I would just say, you know, even if they, even if they weren't real, does that change anything? Does that change what God is trying to teach us through those stories and through those characters? Does it change anything? For certain people, it would. Certain people want that literal understanding of this did happen, that helps me believe better. But I think in the end, even if they weren't real people and they were stories handed down by the Jewish community, that God is still speaking through those stories, telling us something, teaching us something through them. I don't think I answered, answered it the way that he wanted me to, but he accepted it. Um, he wanted me to maybe tattle uh, which I don't know who he was talking about, actually, with all my professors that I had, I don't know. But that was a growing suspicion at the time. It was trying to figure out who has the right ideas and who doesn't. And that has brought about the split of that denomination I was a part of. So, in his early writing also, Henry Nouwen a Roman Catholic priest, described the minister, that is, every Christian, as a wounded healer. In the inner voice of love, his book that was published the day of his death, he still found it necessary to warn. He said, people will constantly try to hook your wounded self. They will point out your needs, your character defects, your limitations, and sins. That is how they attempt to dismiss what God, through you, is saying to them. And this is precisely because the gospel message is the good news. It will be met with hostility from those other forces advancing truth claims that are ultimately destined by God to crumble and fall. But none of this hostility will have a final word. 
I think church is in a, the wider church, Christian church, is in a pretty interesting place. I think we're in an interesting place because membership continues to decline across all denominations. That feeling of influence and power over our culture and our politics and things like that seems to be slipping. So what happens when it feels like that? You try and grab on even harder and you start to forget why you're even a Christian in the first place. And I think a lot of people are struggling with that. I think a lot of people are indifferent to church because they feel like it hasn't given much to them. It's been a lot of just negatives in their life. It's taught them how to hate people. Maybe I'm being a little too hard on church, but I think it's something we need to pay attention to as the community of faith that remains. How we treat others, how we continue to live in the world. I think it's some, somehow a bit of a reckoning for us to understand that maybe we need to be more focused on making a difference in our communities and making people's lives better before we can even be taken seriously again. We can't just say things, we can't just teach things and say stop sinning because that's wrong when people have no context of what we're talking about. Jesus, in all of his ministry, he often took care of the needs of the people first and then later on taught. So, back to Spider-Man. Because of Peter's decision to help the villains, he ends up losing his only family, his Aunt May, who dies by the hands of Green Goblin. He then meets other versions of himself that make their way into the the universe from other ones. Of course, that's the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man and the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. Spoiler, sorry. Once again, it's kind of like Top Gun Maverick. Like This movie made like $1.5 billion, so if you haven't seen it yet, then you may not see it, so I can spoil it. Uh, so uh, he meets other versions of himself, and what he realizes with his other versions that they had Uncle Ben, he had Aunt May, and they all taught him bef- with their dying breath that with great power comes great responsibility. Right? That's kind of the tagline of Spider-Man. Great power comes great responsibility. So then he's determined to finish what he started, to help these villains. He then has to battle his own anger and rage within that. The climactic, huge fight uh, at the end of the movie, he, he encounters Green Goblin, and he's ready to just murder him. And he stops. He actually gets stopped by uh, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, reminding him that this isn't who they are. And then after that, they, he gets healed because they, they came up with a, a special antidote and injected it into his neck and that got rid of the Green Goblin personality. And they helped every other villain and sent them back to their worlds. But after this fight, the only way to keep others from entering their world ends up being a big sacrifice that Peter Parker has to make because Doctor Strange can't close these ways that people are coming in and they keep coming in because the spell had said Peter Parker and so those who know Peter Parker keep coming in from other worlds. And this is a scene where he figures out what actually needs to be done. 
Is that happening? Or am I dying? Oh yeah, no, that's happening. That's real. Are there people in the sky? I gotta go. Yeah, yeah, I got it. You okay? What's happening? The starting come through and I can't stop him. There's gotta be something we could do. Can't you just cast the spell again? But the original way before I screwed it We're up. We're too late for that. They're here. They're here because of you. What if everyone forgot who I was? What? They're coming here because of me, right? Because I'm Peter Parker? So cast a new spell. But this time make everyone forget who Peter Parker is. Make everyone forget. No. But it would work, right? Yeah, it would work. But you gotta understand, that would mean that everyone who knows and loves you, we... We'd have no memory of you. It would be as though you never existed. I know. Do it. Say your goodbyes, you don't have long. Thank you, sir. Call me Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, still feels weird. I'll see you around. It's a lot, kid. So now with this new spell, everyone forgets who Peter Parker is. They still have a memory of Spider-Man, but they don't know who Peter Parker is. Even his closest friends, his girlfriend, MJ, all have forgotten him. He had to make a great sacrifice, basically meant dying to himself, letting go so that the people he loves, that he can actually then protect them, that they may be safe. When God calls the church to be a force of good in the world, it was never to make sure everyone follows the teachings the way we understand it. But it was actually what it says in Matthew 25, which is actually a little glimpse into two weeks from now. We have a guest preacher next week. Uh, but two weeks from now, the movie we're going to be covering is where the crawdads sing. So it says in Matthew 25, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did you see uh, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a sick or when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, "Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me." With the right kind of eyesight, we can take we can get a certain take on the church of Jesus Christ and all of its expressions if if we would just follow this of taking care of the least of these. If the world forgot about how we have become known in our culture and instead know us by our love and by looking out for the least of these, maybe things would change. The church is really good for helping the world holding it together. 
that we are the hope of the world, that we get to show the ways in which we get to be together as community. So there's a message that continues to be proclaimed. Jesus Christ continues to lead people like us out there to be the church in the world, to be shrewd like a serpent and inoffensive as a dove, to have wisdom and gentleness. He sends us without, he sends us with a warning, they may not like you, gives us encouragement, and with the promise of the Holy Spirit to stand beside us every step of the way. So as the church, we need to look at ourselves and reflect, are we doing the things that are actually good and right by the kingdom of God, by what Jesus has taught us? Or are we trying to fulfill our own selfish needs and desires? That's what the scripture and this this film can teach us how to let go of die to the self for the sake of others. To do right even when people that maybe we've agreed with for a long time disagree with us. That's being truly the church. Amen? Thank you for listening to Voices of Hope. If you have enjoyed our podcast, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. If you want to know more about New Hope, you can subscribe to our weekly email newsletter, The Midweek Memo, by going to our website and signing up. Friends, may you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and may you go and love your neighbor as yourself. Go in peace.